Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Bryce with the Conscious Couple Podcast. Just me today. I wanted to jump on and talk about conscious parenting. And this isn't a topic that we touch on too much, but it comes up a lot when we're talking to couples that have kids or who are just curious about how to work with kids in their life. So let's jump into it. I actually have quite a bit of experience working with teenagers um, or young adults who act like teenagers. As kids get younger, I have less and less experience, but I still think that a lot of these skills are going to work just as effectively as they do with our spouse or partner. So the few things that I want to cover today are my own experience as a troubled youth, my work in the therapeutic world with families and other troubled youth, the difference between partnership and parenting, and then I want to talk to moms and dads separately because there's themes that seem to run across gender lines here, what to do versus how to be, and then want to leave you with some skills that you can actually use with your children that do work. So let's just jump into my story real quick. I had, like a lot of people say, a really good childhood. My parents were together, are still together. I think they have a strong marriage. Of course, they're different people than they were 25 years ago. And I think they've learned a lot. And as I've grown up into an adult, I've been able to have conversations with them about my youth and what it was like for them. And I've been able to tell them what worked and what didn't and get their feedback. So it's been really fascinating for me. I have a great relationship with both my mom and my dad today. And it's really beautiful. And I'll talk about some things that didn't work as far as what they did, but it's hard to say this without just letting everyone know that they did a fantastic job. I mean, today I'm like, I wouldn't be the person I am today if it wasn't for them, but it doesn't mean they didn't make mistakes. So we'll jump into that. So first off, all the way up until about 12 years old, it seemed like things couldn't have gone much better. I was a shy kid. I had a close group of friends I was in wrestling, I was in karate, I was playing football. I mean, I was in some sport every season of the year, super active. My parents bought me a motorcycle when I was like six. I had woods behind my house. So it was always like, I didn't really get involved in video games. It was like, I just had so much else to do. I had so many other things to do that it just didn't interest me very much. So I was one of those rare kids who grew up just not even knowing how to play video games. And I spent a lot of time outside. And then my dad got a job down in Arkansas. I grew up in Michigan outside of Detroit. And so we moved there. And my dog ran away a couple weeks before we moved down there. We never found him. My dad ended up working out of the house, whereas opposed to in Michigan, he had been working in the house and was always around. He was pretty busy in the initial move. And I just got really depressed add in some of the hormone changes that were happening through starting puberty, and I was just a wreck within a short period of time. I just imploded. I got super depressed, even had suicidal thoughts, and I wasn't even really aware what was going on, and I wasn't able to communicate this to my parents, so I just kind of like closed in on myself. And as I became more unhappy with my life, I was attracted to more of the kids who seem to be acting out and who seem to share my general feelings about life, which is like life is kind of boring and sucks and acting out and getting in trouble 
and doing risky behaviors was the only way that I could really start to feel alive at the time. So within a short period of time, I started getting into trouble, sneaking out at night. I found drugs and alcohol. In the beginning, it was just alcohol and weed, and I loved it. I just really took to both. I had some bad experiences with alcohol, like a lot of people do starting off, but I learned how to manage that to some degree, and I loved smoking weed because it just made me feel more relaxed, and it opened me up. I went from being more of a shy kid to a kid who could really interact with people and I started to do risky behaviors and then I had stories that I could tell my friends and and then I became known as one of those kids who was just like kind of crazy and this continued all through high school I was always a sharp kid I was smart I was athletic I worked out religiously that was another way that was a healthy way that I actually learned how to deal with my depression and how I felt about myself and so those ran simultaneously through high school it was like I did excel in sports but school took a back seat and I did a lot of really dangerous stuff. And I mean, I was had been arrested a few times by the time I was 16 for possession and a drunk driving ticket. And I lost my license and I was in trouble at school. I was more or less asked to leave during my junior year of high school. And I did a semester of homeschooling at home, transferred schools, I pretty much did almost everything you wouldn't want your kid to do in high school. And my parents did everything they could to try to support me through this. They offered for me to go to therapy. I did off and on. I was somewhat honest. And although I don't think I got a ton out of therapy, the one thing I did get was an understanding about the language, a new way to talk about feelings, and a general openness to adults because I had, in a lot of ways, viewed adults as kind of the enemy. They were the ones that enforced the consequences, and I didn't like consequences. I think with everything that was going on and the distance that I created with my parents and the way that I was able to hide things, my parents took somewhat of a backseat approach, and I didn't really experience many consequences in the household because a lot of it was I was just such a good liar, and I was able to hide a lot of what I was doing until it like came out and I got in trouble at school or was arrested or came home with a black eye or whatever it was. But soon enough, I made it into college, started using prescription pills daily, and that did not last long. Two months into my college career, I totaled my car one night. My parents set up a meeting with the therapist that I had seen on and off, and within a couple of days, I was off to a wilderness therapy program for drugs and alcohol at 18 years old, not where I intended to be. I woke up most mornings either in the woods or in our base camp cabin just wondering, like, how the hell did this happen with all the opportunities that I had in my life? Why am I in rehab? And I felt a lot of shame about that. Luckily, things worked out really well from there. My parents also got involved in their own personal work, learning about addiction and how to support me and challenge me in the time after I went home. And I flourished in a lot of ways. There were some speed bumps there, but I did stay sober. I got really involved in A when I was in Arkansas. And by the time I was 20 years old, I was like, oh yeah, I want to like work at one of those programs that I had been through. My parents had supported me working with a life coach at the time, and he challenged me to reach out to different programs, and I ended up moving out to Utah right around my 21st birthday to work for an adult therapy program, a wilderness program. 
and I couldn't have been happier. I found one of my best friends that I still have today during the training. I moved in with him. I started working there full time soon after. And I just was ecstatic to be helping people and to work in a career that I enjoyed. And I traveled back and forth from Southern Utah and Salt Lake City. And although I was really involved in every piece of working with the clients and wanted to really get in there, I loved leading groups after I got past the the terrified phase. One of the things that interested me the most was participating in the family workshops where the parents actually flew in and came and did therapeutic work with their children and the therapists there. And it was interesting because a lot of times the clients would paint their parents as as these just really controlling, ignorant, stupid people. And I knew that wasn't true. So to actually meet them in person and see how they interacted and what they were really about and to watch the healing that would happen after their child had been sober now for 60 days and had really worked on themselves was really inspiring. And I learned a lot. And although the parents were never as bad as the clients painted them to be, I also noticed that a lot of times they were really poor models of how to deal with emotions. And they had also scapegoated their kids and they had poor communication. And a lot of times the marriage was strained. And so part of the work I noticed with the therapists that were leading the family workshop is they would really turn the attention back onto the parents because this whole addiction business, this this whole fall into addiction did not happen overnight. And parents really needed to own and recognize their own shortcomings so that they could move forward in a productive way. And although they didn't do a ton of marriage work, it was more child to parent, the discontent and disconnection was usually pretty palpable. And I think back on that now as we do couples work and people talk about how to parent and I still get calls from parents wanting me to talk to their children and their children aren't willing. This happens quite often actually. And I tell them, well, what are you willing to do? And most often the answer is in so many words, nothing. Like I just want my child to to get better and I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. And that's not going to work. And even though I'm not a parent, I see the immense amount of effort it takes to be a parent and to go from raising a baby who is completely dependent on you and whom you develop a extremely deep connection with to watch that child grow up and slowly differentiate and distance and even struggle has got to be in some ways really painful and in other ways really inspiring. So I just want to plant a flag that I don't think there are perfect parents, and even though I might be talking about mistakes that my parents made or other parents make, I think it just takes a ton of courage and and love and wisdom to raise any child. So there's that. So let's talk about the difference between partnership and parenting. So one of the bigger differences is that although we might teach people how to take space effectively in a partnership, you can't always do that with kids, especially if they're little. Like they might really need you. They might need you to drive them somewhere, to feed them. And so it's even more challenging to stay secure within yourself 
when you have a screaming kid or a grumpy teenager in the back seat and maybe they're just sitting back there gnawing at you and blaming you for all the ways that you failed as a parent. I get it. And maybe your partner does that sometimes too. But either way, you just can't always take space. So it's important to know that little people and their brains don't function the same way. They are literally crazy. Their prefrontal cortex is not fully developed and they may act like an insane person because they are an insane little person. So you can just breathe into that and understand that if it doesn't work, if these skills don't work sometimes, or if you're just like, am I going crazy? Maybe you are. But it could be also because you really are dealing with a crazy person. And they probably aren't going to be able to have adult conversations very easily. Maybe sometimes, depending on the age, and I think practice over time, they may be able to. I notice with kids, kids tend to be very apologetic. So they act a certain way, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type deal. They tend to also experience quite a bit of shame with that, so they will come back and apologize. And that can be a great time to unpack what just happened. But if you're holding on to resentments towards your children and not dealing with them and projecting onto them how you think they should be, if you don't take advantage of those moments to unpack things when they are emotionally available, you're going to miss some valuable opportunities. So we'll get back to that. But yes, definitely, whether it's your spouse, partner, kid, the relationship that's most important is the relationship to yourself, and it needs to be really secure. And that'll change from moment to moment, but we want to upgrade, up-level your general security with yourself. And it's just the reality that in a child-parent relationship, you're going to have to be the adult most of the time. There's no way around it. You are the adult. You might not always act like the adult, and that's okay. But the more often you can step up as the adult, the more effective you're going to be. I know I definitely do this with Jenny. I'm, I'm really in touch with this 10-year-old Bryce or this 18-year-old Bryce that comes online when I'm feeling scared or threatened or grumpy, whatever it is. And I've had to really work on that relationship and own that like, hey, my 10-year-old is online and he's just kind of scared and shut down. Or my 18-year-old's online and he's just like wants to fight and fire back about everything. And there's no resolution going to happen with this guy. I get it. I still go there. And another piece to acknowledge is that not only can you work through this parenting business in a way that feels better, but there's also a huge benefit for you because your kids are going to show you behaviors, emotions that you're uncomfortable with. They're always going to be reflecting back to you things that you are not okay with. An example may be a mother who has a child who is kind of raging and fighting back and resisting everything. And that could be a sign that the mother's not in touch with their own anger. So seeing anger is just very threatening and, and it might elevate their nervous system and they just can't even deal. So they either like aggressively try and go in and fix or they just pull back and they're like, I can't deal with this right now. But the more comfortable that she can be with her anger, the more she'll be able to sit with her child in that until they've calmed down enough to have a conversation. And, and also taking space can be really helpful here. Or it could be a dad who's uncomfortable with their sadness. So they have a child who's feeling really sad and depressed and they don't know how to sit with them in that. So they might come in and try to be like, no, it's okay. It's better. We'll, we'll go out and we'll do this. We'll do that. We'll have some fun. 
and that might work short term, but the child isn't going to learn how to express their sadness in a helpful way. And so that's going to get buried and it's going to keep coming up. And the child becomes at risk of sinking into a depression. If they can't really fix their sadness, it starts getting stored more and more. The trauma of this, and I mean trauma is in something that we are unable to deal with emotionally, is going to stick with them. So for dad, it might be really working on his own sadness and his relationship to it, and being able to sit with and talk about that with his child. So let's talk about moms and dads individually. So I have a huge respect for mothers. I mean, you go and carry a child for nine months, go through labor and childbirth, which I can't even imagine what that's like, and I never will experience it. And you go from being one, literally, to being two, but still very much connected. And slowly over time, your child begins to grow up and explore and differentiate and distance themselves from you. And I hear this from a lot of parents that this is, this is a very scary experience. You want them to be safe and you cannot guarantee that for them. And especially when they push back, like you've done all this work for them, most of which they don't even remember because they were too young. And you're here just wanting so much for them, wanting them to be safe and happy. And here they are like throwing shit at you or yelling at you, resisting your, your love, whatever it is. It's got to be super confusing. And so mothers tend to, this isn't always, but mothers tend to take on more of a caretaking role. They want to fix, and they may spend more time than is needed trying to dive into the emotional experience and make it better for their child. And so one of the things that mothers usually need to work on is empowering their selves to enforce consequences. And that's going to look different for each relationship. But if you're used to taking on a caretaking role and you default to letting dad handle the difficult conversations or the consequences, your work will be stepping up more. Because I see a lot of kids, small or all the way up into early 20s, just mowing over their moms. And their moms don't know what to do. And they become more and more submissive to their child and then you have a 25-year-old kid who I'm trying to work with, help get them into drug and alcohol treatment, and they basically tell their mom how it's going to go down. And I'm like, how did we get here? And it's like, it makes sense. It started a long, long time ago. So how do you empower yourself to step up and enforce consequences? A, I think little baby steps. It's probably really going to rock your child to all of a sudden have you step up in a different way. And there may be even more conflict during this time. So just understanding that's going to be helpful. Taking space may be another way that you step back from the caretaking and just let your child have their experience. I think doing your own coaching and therapy is going to be really helpful. There are lots of great books and resources out there as well on parenting. But I really want to challenge you to start to do things a little bit different if what you're doing isn't working. And I think this plays out in a lot of different ways where women in the past 25 years, 100 years, 1,000 years have been more in a submissive role to men. So it makes sense that they come in and sometimes allow their children to, to run over them emotionally. But I think things are changing. The paradigm is changing in a helpful way where women are feeling more empowered. So just know you have this power inside of you. 
and it's okay to tap into your power, your anger, your sadness, and show that to your child. When you can show them clean anger, clean sadness, and I mean clean by it's not diluted with loads of projections and judgments about how your child should be, and they can just see that, it's going to be extremely powerful, even if you don't say a word. Okay, and so let's take it over to dads. So dads tend to be a little bit more hands-off when the emotional stuff comes up. They usually have a more logical approach, like, well, how do we fix this? What do we have to do? And they might default to mom to deal with the emotional stuff. Like my dad, even though he was in touch with his emotions to a better degree than I think a lot of dads are, it was more about going out and having fun. And I knew that I could go to my dad to have fun, but when it came to sadness and and really being seen in my more vulnerable places, I always went to my mom. It just felt safer. And I think in general, women are just better at this, but this is the work for dads. Men are usually conditioned not to show sadness or embarrassment or weakness or stress as much. Anger is usually kind of okay, but it's more of an aggressive anger. And so your work is to lean into the emotion with your child and have those conversations and really slow down. And it may even be a helpful challenge to step back as always being the enforcer if that's your role and let mom step up and do it. And you two definitely need to have conversations about how that's going to look. And I'm not speaking too much to the specifics yet because we'll get into some skills at the very end. But dads, men, I'm with you on this one. We have to get more comfortable with those uncomfortable emotions that we may have suppressed and don't even know that we have in order to really get in touch with little boys and little girls that need our masculine and feminine support. It doesn't mean you have to be any less manly or any less masculine. And I don't know a better way to do this than to work with a coach or a therapist if you haven't already and to really sit with yourself and be with whatever's happening. Even 10 minutes of meditation a day can make a huge difference in your ability to connect with yourself and your little ones, your wife. So I challenge you to take that on. So let's talk about what to do versus how to be, because there's going to be a balance of both. So if you learn the skills, but you're not really able to be present with your child, they're probably not going to work very well. You may have picked up on this before. You're flustered. You've been out all day working you've been stressed, maybe you've been drinking coffee, eating shitty food, and you come home and then you have to be a parent, but you're not really present, and you try to enforce consequences, and you just notice that you go through the roof. Maybe it's just internal, but you're just not there, and you're trying to like parent and enforce a consequence, and it's just not working. The reason is probably because you're not really present. You're not really embodied. You're not really there with your child, and they do pick up on your ability to emotionally connect with them. They have spider senses just like us. These are developed long before the prefrontal cortex. So kids pick up on the little things. They are very aware. And they're going to know if you're not there with them. They're going to know if you're triggered. They might not be able to say, hey, dad, hey, mom, you're triggered. I can tell. But they're going to feel it. So not only taking care of your mind, taking care of your body, want to be a relaxed parent, an embodied parent who can be there with their child. You're going to have to look at the whole picture and really practice taking care of yourself. 
And if you're a parent who's in constant contact, maybe you're the stay-at-home mom and you're always in conflict and you're just in this hamster wheel of make your bed, do your chores, take a shower, and you're just experiencing resistance, you're probably going to have to do a lot of extra work to first just release yourself and get off the hamster wheel because you're in a really immature relationship with your child. And when you try to step up and be the parent, you're breaking the cycle and the child is probably going to resist even more. So as we jump into these skills here in a second, if you're like, oh, I tried that and it didn't work, it's like, well, no duh. You've been doing things the same way for maybe the child's entire life that they remember. Trying to be different might feel like it's going against the grain, and it is. But over time, they're going to get used to this new way of being. And whether that is enforcing consequences or just really sitting in silence and being with their child as they scream and ah, do their thing or storm off and you don't just text them right away. By the way, just side note, don't ever have important conversations over text with your child or your, well, I would say anyone. It's just like the least effective way to do it. There's just a little pro tip right there for any relationship. But yeah, as you step up into being more of an adult, whether an enforcer or changing your way of being to where you're not always in conflict, yeah, they're going to fall kind of on their face if you're not putting up that resistance again, and it might get harder. But over time, it's going to work better. Okay, so let's jump into, this is usually my favorite part, is the skills, because you want to actually go out into your day, into your relationships, and do something different. Super important. So probably the most effective thing you can do with your child to start is active and reflective listening. And you may have to stick with this for quite a while. There may be some trial and error here. So when you ask your child to do something or they're having a reaction, just sit with them. Just get curious. Oh, what's that like for you? Well, I don't want to, I just don't want to make my bed. I was playing the video games. Okay, I hear you. So you really enjoyed the video games. And when I asked you to make your bed, you just didn't want to. That makes sense. And this might sound kind of contrived and ridiculous. It's not so much the content. It's not so much that you're agreeing with them that it's better to play video games than make their bed but you want to calm down their central nervous system so they can get in their prefrontal cortex just like you need to. And it's harder for a child a lot of times so that you can start to have this conversation. Listen, really get their world, tell them how it makes sense. And then when you sense that their energy is more calm, and again, this might happen on the first go around or it might take five times. Depends how deeply ingrained these patterns are and how activated they get. And then you can come back with like, oh, are you open to hearing what my experience is when you don't make your bed? Okay, so I feel some anger and I feel some sadness when you won't make your bed because I'm worried that I'm not preparing you well enough for life. And it doesn't matter what they say about this. They might have their own immature reaction to it. But it's important for them to hear, to hear it again and again, what's really going on for you. This might seem kind of clunky, but this is going to work better than the fighting or the passive, just letting your child run over you. Begin to have these mature adult conversations. And you might have to be the only only adult in the room for a while. That's okay. Another skill you can use is front-loading. So I spoke about this the other day on our group call is you know your child, right? You know how they react. So if you're going into something that you know they normally have a reaction about, you can actually get ahead of the ball 
and say, hey, I know that when I ask you to do chores, you sometimes don't want to. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to have a conversation about chores right now. And I want it to feel good for both of us. And I want it to feel good for you. And we also want to work on getting some things done today. Here's what I'd like you to do. And that's going to be way better than, hey, make your bed, yelling across the room. Again, could be clunky. Practice it front-loading. Watch them, track them, track your child, what's happening with them as you're having this conversation, and stick with it. Okay, so agreements versus boundaries. So boundaries are going to be great, but I think to lead into boundaries, if you just come in hot and heavy with the boundaries, a lot of, I mean, anyone's kind of be, going to be resistant if, if you don't really connect with them first and you just drop a hard boundary. Sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes you need a reactive boundary like, hey, this is not okay right now. It's not okay that you're throwing shit at me. It's not okay that you're yelling at me. In total support of grabbing the steering wheel, you're the parent, do what you think's best, what you feel like you need to do. But I think it's going to be really important to lead into that with agreement. So when your child is feeling calm, you're at the dinner table, you might say, hey, can we make some agreements here? Perfect timing, right? It's going to be a lot better timing than like in the moment when they're all charged. So yeah, like I really love when you get to go to Billy's house and you guys play basketball or run around in the yard. How about we make an agreement that... I'll take you there tomorrow when you want to go. And I just need you to do three things. How does that sound? And again, in the beginning, this could be a little tricky. They might go into the reactive pattern, but keep practicing. It's going to be more effective than than putting it off and trying to wake them up in the morning and they want to go. And you're like, well, you got to do these things. Planning is going to feel way better and be more effective. And you can do that through agreements. And even... Writing them down can be really helpful and putting them up on the fridge so they know. I mean, I love clarity. I think everyone does. Putting expectations in a place where everyone can see. Everyone's in agreement. And finally, I want to talk about consequences and how you can actually make them a win-win for everyone, even if there's resistance. So what's tricky about consequences now is that kids are so inundated with technology. iPads, iPhones, internet. Some scary stuff. I'm not going to get into that right now. But one of the most helpful consequences I think you can give a child is to take away the technology, the video games, the computer, the iPad, the tablet, the iPhone. You bought it. You pay for it. You have every right to take it away. And what happens when it gets taken away? A couple things. One, kids learn that there are consequences to their actions and that they don't like them. So there can be some curbing of behavior. And also, they're going to actually have to be in what they're experiencing and find different ways to keep themselves entertained. So the possibility for a win-win is that child doesn't do chores. You say, hey, no TV, no iPad, no computer, no video games for the rest of the day or the weekend or whatever it is. But hey, you got a bicycle, you got a basketball. I'll support other things you want to do that are going to be in your best interest. But the win-win here is that weaning kids off of their compulsion to technology, as well as making a consequence where it opens them up to do things that are going to be more healthy, is a total win-win. And remember again, like if I, I want to sum all this up, is like I have my opinions here. I'm also aware that I'm not a parent and how hard this can be and how deeply ingrained these patterns can be and there can be mental illness here and parenting is super hard. So Also, go with your gut. Go with your intuition. I'm giving examples here of skills you can use. I think they'll be really effective. 
but you can put your own twist on them and make them what you want and test the results. Look at it as a science experiment. But there is one thing for certain is that the way that we do relationship with our children and our spouse, our friends, family, is going to be really similar. We tend to do relationships the same way across the board, even if it looks a little bit different. So even when you're working on one with your child or with your spouse, it's going to be benefiting all the other relationships. And it begins with your relationship to yourself. So anyways, this has been super fun. I just jumped on this podcast spontaneously. I'm loving the engagement. Feel free to send any questions you have or if you want to hear about a topic, you can send them to Bryce at advancedrelationshipacademy.com or Jenny at advancedrelationshipacademy.com. We're also giving out a handful of free relationship strategy sessions. And you can book those on our website at www.advancedrelationshipacademy.com. We'd love to talk to you. We've changed the structure of some of our programs, so you can probably get in and work with us on just about any budget. We have a couple openings for private clients as well. We're here to help. And we are so committed to helping you create the most intimate, loving, and powerful relationships on the planet.